So two weeks ago, Kenny opened this spiritual formation series, and he said this, a strong authenticator of your love for God is your love for his words. Do you remember him saying that? For somehow, that shot out at me. I remember where I was sitting, and I remember when he said it, I mentally, to myself, kind of did this. Whoa, whoa, wait a minute. Let me think and process. A strong authenticator of your love for God is your love for his word. So as I chewed upon that, I realized, boy, as true as that is, sometimes loving God's word requires wrestling with God's word. And so if you are, at this moment in time, in your relationship with God, wrestling with God's word, don't mistake that as a deficiency. I hope you won't mistake that as a deficiency. In fact, we're going to look at Psalm 119. We're going to look at the stanza that begins in verse 97. But with your permission, I would like to first just look at the first verse, 97. And there's a reason for that. It's because when when Kenny offered me the opportunity to study and absorb this passage and then share with you today... I read the first verse, verse 97, and metaphorically, I stubbed my toe on it. I read it, and I thought, what? Wait a second. Let me read it for you today. Psalm 119, verse 97. Oh, how I love your law. In the ESV, exclamation point. Oh, How I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. Okay, full stop. I had just hung up the phone with Kenny five, ten minutes earlier. And I read this exclamation, Oh, how I love your law. And I thought, what? Say what? I love your law? Who is this guy? I mean... Laws are good. Laws protect us. Thank God for traffic laws. Otherwise, we'd be crashing into each other all day long. I'm glad there's traffic laws. In my life, I've been in traffic court as a young guy. I couldn't ever have imagined going up to the magistrate in traffic court after court was dismissed and saying, can I stay longer and read the book of traffic laws? I love traffic laws. I meditate upon them all day. So I'm thinking in my mind, this, Lord, this is my assignment? Who says, I love your law? That sounds like something religious people would say. I'm not a religious guy. I kind of shrink back and away from religious atmospheres and environments. I'm a relational guy. I've been loved by the creator of the universe. I love Jesus, but I'm not a religious guy. 
I got saved out of a religious system. So I'm wrestling in my mind with this first verse. Some of you might wrestle when you read the scripture upon a word that just seems out of place. And we can even feel a little bit condemned when that happens. So I remember feeling in my heart, oh, this is great, Joe. You're having an initial adverse reaction to the initial verse in a passage you've just been asked to meditate and study and prepare and share with the church. Isn't that great? (laughs) Imagine how happy I was a week later when in the the goodness of God, I stumbled upon some reflections by C.S. Lewis on the very same verse. And you know what his thoughts were initially? Exactly the same. I had this huge smile on my face as I read his thoughts. He was basically saying, who says this? Who says this stuff? I love your law. Who chooses that word to get excited and lathered up? He said it's like recognizing, this is C.S. Lewis analogy, it's like recognizing dental tools. You go to the dentist, they got that tray, there's all these tools on there, you really don't want to see any of them. You know they're there for your good. Yes. But while you're waiting for the dentist to come in and get started, you don't look at them lovingly and say, oh, I love dental tools. They're so good for me. I meditate upon them all the time. No, I I meditate upon the dental tools while waiting for the dentist to get in, hoping I can get out of here as soon as possible. That's what the dental tools equal to me. I think it's important to be honest about digging into the Word and the challenges that we sometimes find in doing that. Second Timothy tells us all Scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. But not all Scripture is the same. There are books that are poetry, There are books that are wisdom literature, like the Psalms. There's prophecy. And then there's apocalyptic books about the end of all things, the end of time, the return of Christ. There are letters written to encourage and instruct churches. There's historic narratives that are to be received as history books. Something of a newspaper from days gone by. But not every line of scripture is easily understood or easily applied. And language doesn't always effortlessly effortlessly blend into the English-speaking modern age. And that should not discourage us. It's hardly a new challenge. Remember Nicodemus. He was a Pharisee, a member of the Sanhedrin, the ruling class. They were not pleased with Jesus. He full well knew it, but he was intrigued. He had heard about the miracles. He wondered, could this be the Messiah? 
but he went at night. He went at night to talk to Jesus. And Jesus said to him, you must be born again. And this well-schooled, this brilliant legalist said, how can a man return to his mother's womb and be born again? And Jesus was like, your spirit, you must be born again to a new spirit. And he still wasn't getting it. And Jesus said to him, now, now wait a minute. You're a teacher of Israel, right? Jesus was provoking him to go further, to not let the matter drop, which he did. And we find him later in Scripture, after the death of Jesus, coming with Joseph of Arimathea to embalm and bury the body of Jesus. He was a cautious disciple, but a disciple nonetheless. But he was one who was initially tripped up by the Word of God. And I'm not talking about the written Word of God, the actual Word of God, the one who says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And it wasn't clear to him. Initially, sometimes it's not clear to us either. Sometimes we have to clear away cultural confusion and our cultural eyes just can't relate. For David, he has in front of him the Torah, the first five books of Scripture. The law of God is revealed to Moses in the first five books of the Scripture can mean teaching, direction, guidance, law. <clears throat> if he had chosen a different way, if I, had, if I had entered Psalm 119 at a different point, let's say the next stanza, down, if I had begun there, it's going to say, thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. And my spirit and my mind would have been like, ah, oh, yes, this is so good. This is so rich. And I would have merged right in. But that's not where it began. It was, I love your law, and I meditate upon it all day. And it required mining the meaning of that. It wasn't important for me to understand what that verse meant to me. It was important for me to understand what that verse meant in the mind of God being placed into the scripture. Do you catch me with that? Because we can, we can take a wrong turn really fast. If we come to the scripture and we're trying to understand it, and it's a little challenging, and so to kind of be done with that, we can think, well, this is what it means to me. But really, think about that. Who really cares? If I had settled upon that verse... With the, and been satisfied to simply ask the question, well, this, what does it mean to me? Does anybody really care what it means to you? How about, what does it mean to God in communicating like that to us? Something's got to be unlocked. Something's got to be understood. That can be the challenge of reading the Word. 
And I think it's important for us to just acknowledge that this is one of perhaps many challenges we can encounter in the Word of God. Because if we can just admit that and agree, the next time you open the Scripture and stub your toe, you'll just stop and say, now Lord, teach me. Open this up to me. And I'm so glad that I was asked to study this section. Because in opening up the fuller meaning of the word, law, I'll never see it in the scripture again quite the same way. Let's take a look at the rest of that psalm. Verse 97, oh how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. Your commandment makes me wiser than my enemies, for it is ever with me. I have more understanding than all my teachers, for your testimonies are my meditation. I understand more than the aged, for I keep your precepts. I hold back my feet from every evil way in order to keep your word. I do not turn aside from your rules, for you have taught me. How sweet are your words to my taste sweeter than honey to my, to my mouth. Through your precepts, I get understanding. Therefore, I hate every false way. <clears throat> every one of those verses reflects something of the nature of God. Eight verses, eight depictions of the mind of God. We read about his law, his commandments, his testimony, his precepts, his word, singular, his rules, his words, plural, his precepts again. Another way of saying his principles, his guidelines, his codes. John begins his gospel this way. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. And the Word was God. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. The Word capitalized. Why? It's a person. So when we dig into the Word, we're engaging a person. And by God the Holy Spirit, we can interact with that person. And sometimes, like Jacob in the book of Genesis, it will lead us to a wrestling of types with that person, all to a good end. We get to hear from God. It's God communicating, God speaking, God writing. So the question is never, well, what does it mean to me? I used to think that way. I used to, at times, when I was a young man and first converted, I would feel like, God, I need to hear from you. And I would just open the Bible at random and put my finger on it and then look at the verse. A really not a very helpful way to 
walk down the path of the Christian life. I was desperate to hear from God, but my finger landed at some really odd places. And so, in order to make sense of it, I would say, well, let me see what this means to me. But really, if this is a person speaking, interacting, living, and active, which is the Scripture's own testimony about itself. The book of Hebrews tells us the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of the soul and of the spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. If I'm lifting up the Word of God, and God's purpose is to help me to discern the thoughts and intentions of my heart, then my question isn't, what does it mean to me? My question is, Lord, what do you mean to say to me? Otherwise, I discern nothing. We get to hear from God in his word. Do you, anybody ever walk across the beach and pick up a seashell maybe as a kid and listen to it. Any of your parents used to tell you, oh, listen to the seashell. You can hear the ocean. Does that resonate with you? This is like a seashell. It's like a seashell. Boy, there are times we really need the intimacy of God. If you're like me, I, I need God to speak to my heart. I can recall things about God, and that's good. But there are plenty of times where I need to hear from God. I need Him to speak to my heart. So pick up the seashell and listen to what He says. It's a wonderful tool. It's a wonderful path to intimacy. It's another way of expecting a text a voicemail, an email, Instagram, Snapchat. He's alive. That's why. He's alive. Can you relate to that? If you're here this morning and you really can't relate to that, then maybe the question of Jesus that was placed to Nicodemus is helpful to restate. You must be born again. You must have a spirit renewed by God to be able to reap the benefits of intimacy with God. And that is done through the person of Jesus Christ. And only through the person of Jesus Christ. See, the Word of God is a person. It's God Himself. But it's the God of the Bible. Today, it's so popular for people to be content with embracing a spiritual side. And if all you ever share with people is that, you know, I'm, I'm just pursuing my spirituality, you will get applause. Yeah! Yes! Yo! Spirituality, good for you. Well-rounded, well-balanced. We all need that. But see, if like 
Jesus' words to Nicodemus in the cover of night are that Jesus is the only way and the truth and the light. Don't wait around for the golf claps. Because the world didn't receive him when he came in the flesh. And not a lot has changed since. All right. The word of God is good for our heart, discerning the thoughts and intentions of men. We need that because our heart, according to the scripture, is desperately wicked. Who can understand it? Notice the psalmist's movement, though, from thoughts of God to intention of his heart. Let's look one more time there. Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all day. Your commandments make me wiser than my enemies. Wouldn't happen if he didn't apply what he was reading. I have more understanding than all my teachers, for your testimonies are my meditation. So he's becoming, notice, he doesn't just read the scripture, he finds himself becoming wiser than his enemies, more understanding than all his teachers. He says, I understand more than the aged, for I keep your precepts. Now this isn't some upstart young dude who thinks he's got it together over folks who have lived a half century or more upon planet Earth. This isn't about worldly wisdom. This is about the wisdom of God that is brought to us from His Word, and it's available to us at any age. No ID checked at the door. All may enter. Rated general audience. Come receive wisdom. Come receive understanding. He starts out in verse 97 saying how he loves the law. He ends in verse 104 in this section, this stanza, saying, I hate every false way. Can you see the progression? He loves the law, which is what again? Well, he loves the thoughts and ruminations of God about his own heart, God's self-testimony about what pleases him, God's self-testimony about what good is. He loves all those things that God reveals about himself. And as a result of loving the things that God loves, he ends up hating the things that God hates. book of James encourages us, be doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in the mirror. For he looks at himself and then he goes away and at once he forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, 
He will be blessed in his doing. And that's the odyssey and the promise kept and the reward fulfilled that the psalmist shows us in this section of Psalm 119. Out of his devotion to God, he devotes himself. In his time, it was just the Torah. And because he was king, he had access to the Torah and the teachers of the Torah. But he gave himself to the God he loved and to understanding more about what that God is like and what that God would say and what are his promises. And it changed him. And it will change us. And it will change you. Are you tired of being stuck in the mud? Is there a besetting sin that you feel like, I can't throw it off. It's been years. I'm almost tired of trying. What is the answer? Give yourself to marinating in what pleases Jesus. I'm not talking about reading that and then giving in to condemnation. I'm talking about studying God and what pleases Him and what makes His heart sing. You will find yourself transformed and changed if you do. You will find that your desires and your appetites slowly shift and transform. You'll find that Not only do you love this one more, but almost imperceptibly over time, you're becoming like this one. And that's the point. His meditations stimulate his affections. His affections mold his behavior and his choices, his likes, his dislikes, even his hates. He aligns his mind with the mind of God and it's producing fruitfulness in his life. It trains and cultivates his will. It gives him wisdom, wiser than enemies. Understanding greater than all his teachers. Power to keep his feet from evil. Power to be within his will. Who doesn't need that? Who doesn't need that? Resolve to be and to do that which... He has taught us to be and do. Because of Jesus, meditating on who Jesus is, my appetites begin to be aligned with Jesus. Those things that are delicious delights to him become sweet to my taste as well. We go from loving him and his thoughts to hating every false way. Boy, we want that, don't we? I know you do. I know you do. And I know some of you have tried every which way to find fruitfulness, and it just hasn't been sustainable. Go to his word. Learn more about him. Marinate in who he is. Find out the things that he says delight him. Meditate upon them. Let's pray. Lord, we are the body of Christ. We're your body. You're our head. We're you. You're us. Oh, God. Bring us to your word. 
Lord, help us. We're weak. Lord, we see words in your scripture which, Lord, we can quickly assume that's not what I need to hear today. I came in here for sev, for a burn, not, not what I'm seeing today. Help us to understand, Lord, why are you presenting this for me? And what is there about you in there for me to see? Because I want to love you more. And through loving you more, Lord, I want to become more like you. So God, have mercy upon us and help us. In Jesus' name.